O God and our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're continuing our series on the Ten Words or Ten Commandments. Uh, today we're talking about the ninth word. And we're talking about truth and lies. But I want us to remember again why are we doing this. I want this to always be fresh in our minds and helping us to see and understand God speaks to his people. Why do we call it the ten words? Because it says in Exodus 20 verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, and then he gave those words that we call commandments. Of course, we understand that the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses is giving a great and mighty sermon on those ten words, we see that it says this in Deuteronomy 28, 15, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of Yahweh your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And, of course, we know it says that she'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. And how these curses impact our children, food supplies. It brings curses of confusion, disease, curses of unprofitable economies, defeat by enemies, madness, blindness, and confusion, all kinds of things that if we were to look around today, we would say, that's happening all around us. And the church needs to respond by being obedient to the words of God. So I want us to remember, of course, that there are two groups. There's two groups in the ten words. There's those that are about our relationship with God and those that are about our relationship with God's image bearers, that is, the other people around us. We need to remember that we are not to bring any God before the face of the living triune God. We shouldn't make idols, because when we make idols, we're attempting to displace Jesus as our only mediator to God. We need to recognize that we carry the name of our God through our baptism in every areas of our life. And we must not carry it in a way that causes others to blaspheme God. We need to remember the Sabbath, to worship Him. We need to remember to honor our father and mother. We need to remember that all people are created in the image of the triune God. And we are not only to not take a life, but we are to preserve life and make it fruitful. We understand from God's words that we're not to commit adultery, both in worship to Him and also by breaking our marriage vows. We learned in the eighth word that God has provided all that we have and that we should not steal from anyone. 
Because if we do, we are stealing what God has provided for them. Today we come and we look at the ninth word where it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to read Colossians chapter 3 here, beginning in verse 8. And I want us to consider this, and we'll consider it again towards the end as well. But let us hear God's word from Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know, when we think about this, we need to remember what's happening at Sinai when God is giving these words to his people. We need to recognize that God, through his covenant promises, is constituting Israel into a nation. So part of what he's doing when he says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, is, yes, generally talking about telling the truth, but also establishing rules for public conduct and legal disputes. We don't want to lose sight of what God is doing, both specifically to people, but also generally to the nation that he is constituting. And, of course, for you and I, he is speaking to us because we are his people, and he has constituted us as his people. And we need to think about what we say and how we say it and how it impacts public perception and even how it may end up in the courts. But let us consider that our God is truth. The word ameth, the Hebrew word for truth, is firmness, faithfulness, truth. It's a sureness a reliability, stability, it's a continuance, faithfulness, reliableness. When I think of these things, God's word in his sovereignty, his omniscience, his ability to be powerful over all things, creator of all things, that brings us comfort knowing that our God is truth. We see in Exodus chapter 34 verse 6 it says this, and passed before him and proclaimed, and this is God speaking to Moses. That, and he passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh God, merciful and gracious, long-surfing and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children's children we see that God is merciful and gracious and full of truth. We see in Psalm 31, verse 5, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Yahweh, God of truth. Psalm 40, verse 11, Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, Yahweh. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. 
God is steady in His truth. The fact that He is reliable, the fact that He is the only solid thing, the only thing to which we can cling to, preserves us, gives us confidence. Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 89.14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. And Psalm 146.5, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in Yahweh God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. You know, in this way of truth, God calls people to repentance. We see in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 2, And you shall swear, Yahweh lives. And how does he live? In truth, in judgment. In righteousness, the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. And of course, it isn't just about God our Father, or Yahweh the triune God, but Jesus himself speaks the truth. Jesus is God incarnate, and he is truth. John 1.14 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And certainly during his ministry, Jesus declares in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. God is truth. He is full of truth. He is reliable and steady sovereign and great and of course all of this is in contrast to satan the accuser he is the father of lies john eight forty four says you are of your father the devil this is jesus speaking to the pharisees and the desires of your father you want to do he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he, this is Satan, is a liar and the father of it. You know, the word devil or Satan in the Greek is diabolos. And it is important for us to understand that this is the false accuser. It is the slanderer. It is one who is prone to slander. You know, it's really interesting when you think about that, that he's the the false accuser. What does he do in Genesis chapter 3? Beginning in verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field in which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
Satan becomes a deceitful accuser, first of who? God himself. He bears false witness against God, specifically with the intent to harm others. And what happened? See what happens after this. We see that Adam in Genesis 3, verse 12, then the man said, and this is God, this is Adam speaking to God, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Imagine that. Didn't take Adam very long to become a false accuser, first of God. God, it's the woman you gave me. And then to his wife, Eve. He bears false witness to God so that Eve may be undone and that he preserves himself. And Yahweh God said to the woman, this is Genesis 3, verse 13, What is this you have done? Finally, somebody tells the truth here. The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. God is not deceived when we sin, when we bear false witness, when we accuse others. It's funny how we act in our sin. We attempt to lie to God and place others as the reasons for our sin. Children, look at me for a minute. Right? You're in a situation, and your parents come in, and you've done something wrong, and you say, well, I did this because they did that to me. That is bearing false witness. You are responsible for your actions. I've got a funny story here on this. My brothers, I'm a lot older than they are, so I was in my teens, and my dad was outside playing uh, with this, one of the, remember, they used to sell these big balls in the Kmart, you know, these great big ones you can get in these big cages. I think Walmart did it for a while, too. And my dad had got one of those, and I think my brother Stephen was about seven, and my, my brother Drew, he was, that would have made him like four, maybe. And they were outside playing, and my dad was kicking the ball, and of course, the older one is much faster. And so he's able to get to the ball first. And this goes on four or five times. And I'm just kind of, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out to the side just watching what's happening. And the, my dad kicks the ball, goes out, older one's running up. And he slides in on his knees and grabs the ball. And my, the, the younger brother, Drew, he's frustrated. He comes running up behind him and bites him on the back. Only he doesn't let go. So Stephen's going, ah! Right? My dad comes up and he's, he's patting Drew on the head to get him to let go because, you know, you don't want to just pull off because he's got him. <laughs> right? Drew lets go. My brother Stephen turns around, takes his fist, and hits him on the top of the head. And with a straight face, Drew turns and looks at my dad and says, He hit me. <laughs> <coughs> Now, that's a funny story, but the truth is, God's not deceived. And we try to look to God and say, I'm angry because my spouse said this, or my child did that, or my father did this, or my coworker did that, and therefore I am excusing <coughs> excuse me, my sin. 
and we accuse others, and we accuse God. And you know, here's the thing. Is God sovereign or isn't he? So when difficult things come into our life, who has placed it there? God Almighty. He's not deceived. Go to God. Don't blame others. Don't bear a false witness. Because when you start these accusations of others, the first one that you are accusing is God himself. You know, God's not deceived. Proverbs 15.3 tells us, The eyes of Yahweh are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Job 34.21, For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees his steps, and there is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. We can't hide ourselves. God sees all. People of God, do not lie to God or accuse God. Because, you know, the only person who's deceived is who? Ourselves. I must apologize, I didn't put the reference here, but I'm going to read it because I know it's God's word. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Uh, This is James. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You know, in this passage, we need to make sure that we don't deceive ourselves. We can fall into that trap. You know, all of this teaches us about bearing false witness. God gives clarity to the the justice of attacking another person by slander. Deuteronomy 19.15 says this, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. So you can't bring one. It says this, By the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before Yahweh. Now here's the truth. Now, he's, giving, he's laying out some court procedures. But, you know, God is always there. He is always seeing. But it reminds us that when these things happen, we are standing before Yahweh God, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And, indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother. See what God says. Then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And 
Those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, when people usually quote that last verse, verse 21, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, they think about cowboy justice. Yeah, you did this to me. God's made it okay for me to do this to you. It's not that. But rather, if you intended to do harm and you were working and scheming and plotting to do harm to others, you go before Yahweh, you go before the leaders of the church, you go before the, court, the courts, and then what happens? If you turn out to be lying then those things that you had intended harm would be brought upon you. Before God, the church, and the courts. This is not cowboy justice, so that's a total misuse of that passage. People of God, we are told this is how we are to be. Can you imagine if our court systems followed this? What would happen? What verse 20 says would happen? Then those who see this and remain, they will hear fear, and they shall not commit such evil among you. But, you know, it doesn't just happen to me in the courts. And, of course, I just bring this up because we need to think about this. If, if we're ever going to see our court system right, we need to do what God's Word says in dealing with things. But more than that, we need to recognize that this is how it needs to work for the people of God. Children, back to telling that story. If you say to your parents, you turn in your brother or sister for doing wrong, and you know it's a spanking offense, and you're doing it to take it away from you, you should be spanked. Right? Grown-ups, in the same way, if you're bearing false witness against someone else, God's Word says what you're trying to do to that person to bring upon them should be done to you. Be truthful. The first thing that that should tell us is be very, very careful. Be very careful before you speak against someone. Right now we live in a world of 8 to 30 second video clips, and we're using that to determine what truth is. Be very, very careful before you speak against someone else. There are many who look and say any lie is wrong, but there is clear instruction in God's word about righteous deceit. I just want to be clear, there's a place to, to preserve life, to do things that glorify God, and still, it's not just about, remember, this, this, this particular one says, bear, don't bear false witness, and there is truth, and there is lying, and I don't want to minimize telling lies. Don't do that. But, when there is a place for righteous deceit, we're going to talk about that. We see in Joshua chapter 2 with Rahab. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and have entered your house, for they have come to search out the country. Then the woman, that's Rahab, took the two men, the spies, and hid them, so that she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And then she says they left, and she preserved them. And it's very interesting her whole rationale for preserving them was to say, I recognize that Yahweh is God. I know what he's doing. 
and I know that we were called to repentance, I want to be repentant, and I want to become a person of God. And God sustained her. And if you're not sure if, if that was uh, a good thing or not, remember that she comes up in the New Testament brought up as righteous. You see, the midwives in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shapira, and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Verse 17, listen to this. But the midwives did what? They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called the midwives, for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. They told a lie. But what does it say in verse 20? Therefore God dealt with the midwives. And how did he do that? It says, and the people multiplied and grew mighty. So what were they doing? They're trying to help women have babies, have successful births, have all this. So the first thing that God did is God blessed them in their work. But more than that, it says this in verse 21. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. He gave them their own children. They preserved life, and God blessed them, both in their work and in their households. One commentator points out, their lie was not a moral infirmity, but moral courage, just like Rahab's lie. The moral infirmity is in the case of those who say, there is no place for righteous deception. Now, Scripture does say that lying is hateful to God, and Satan is spoken of as the father of lies. But we are also told that God put a lying spirit in the mouth of the false prophets in order to deceive a false king. You know, the truth-telling moralist makes truth-telling an absolute a universal, but God alone is absolute. Truth-telling is always in relationship to the absolute God and His law. We must not consent to helping others commit evil against people. I'm still making the case here of why there's a place for righteous deception. Psalm 50, verse 18 tells us this, When you saw a thief, this is God speaking, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. God says this. You consented. You saw him and you consented. And therefore you became a partaker with an adulterer. In this case, we're not just talking about a regular adulterer, but one that was setting up idols against God. You know, we learn in the sixth word that all people are created in the image of the triune God and we are to preserve life and make all of life fruitful. God's word provides us clarity on how God wants us to live out his commands. So all this brings us, what does it mean to actually bear a true witness? Ephesians 4.25 says this, 
Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands on what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is in need. Now, again, you've got to be careful here. First of all, God is speaking here. When he talks about neighbor in this context, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. Right? We're, we're, we're presented with all types of situations out there. There's been a lot of things that have happened here recently where we've got to make decisions about what is right, what is best, what is truthful. Is there a place for righteous deceit? Scripture tells us, tells us if it is to preserve life, if it is to preserve souls, if it is to do what God's Word is instructing us how to clearly live, don't say, oh, I can't do that. Righteous deception is right. We need to remember this, though. As it comes down to the very basis of all things, we need to change the image that we bear. As disciples of Christ, we are to be a student to live and to think like Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does, does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, that is, study God's word which contrasts 2 Timothy 3.16, or excuse me, 3.6. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We are told in one passage, we need to know God's word. Rightly dividing, rightly understanding. But you have to study, you have to work hard to understand these things. Why? Because there are those out there that are seeking to be false accusers of God and to deceive you from understanding His Word. And if they are about that business and you don't know God's Word, they will deceive you and you'll never be able to come to the knowledge of the truth. James 3.14 tells us this, But if you have any bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Bearing false witness is always motivated out of envy and self-seeking preservation. So if you have envy and you are always about protecting number one, you are lying against the truth. Don't boast about that, but repent. You know, the how in these things sometimes seems difficult. But by the work of Jesus Christ, we are, by the power of the Spirit, delivered from the house of bondage. Remember, when God is speaking to the people in Israel at Sinai, He says, I have delivered you from the house of slavery, the house of bondage from Egypt. For us, as the people of God, it is the bondage of sin that He has delivered us from. As new creatures, we are no longer enslaved to sin, but are free not to sin. We have been given a new heart to reflect the true image of God. Let's go back to our Colossians chapter 3 passage and close out reflecting about this. But now you yourselves are put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? 
since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We need to understand that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we don't have to lie. We don't have to bear false witness. We don't have to be about our self-preservation. Why? Because we've put off the old man by the work of Jesus and we have put on the new man and we are renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. What a blessing that we're created in God's image, that we have been delivered from the bondage of sin. Do not bear false witness. Do not accuse God and accuse others. Come to repentance of your sins. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to be members of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Make us ever mindful that Jesus Christ is the truth, and your word is truth, that we might ever, in obedience to you, walk in the way of truth and righteousness, and not always in the ways of men. In Jesus' name, amen.